The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. Automated weather observations, 1524 Zulu. Wind 320 at 05. Visibility 4. Light snow, mist. Sky conditions scattered 800. Overcast 2100. Temperature 01 Celsius. Dew point minus 02 Celsius. Altimeter 3032. Remarks. Density altitude minus 1,200. You're listening to Squawk Eye Dan, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony, his co-hosts, and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 60 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 26th of October, 2020, from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's show, I am very fortunate to be joined by my magnificent Squawk Ident flight crew members, Rob D. and Captain Roger. The three of us have been texting back and forth over the last few days because of a few aircraft accidents that have headlined aviation news. We aviators usually pay attention, close attention, when we hear of aircraft issues. Not because we like to chase fire trucks, but more so because any incident that occurs on the flight line is an opportunity to improve our understanding and knowledge on the best way to tackle an in-flight situation. We will discuss what we have learned from these incidences and how distractions on the flight deck can lead to some disastrous results. Plus, through some feedback from a loyal listener, a former guest actually, Captain John H., we will explore some of our favorite aviation films to hit the silver screen. I would first like to extend our heartfelt gratitude to Bozo and Captain Roger Victor for joining us on episode 59 of Squawk Ident, Aviation Puppet Master. We had a blast learning about Captain Roger Victor's journey, how he became an online pilot celebrity, and the influences in Bozo's life that shaped his passion for puppeteering. Thank you, Captain Roger Victor. And if you have not done so, check out the YouTube clips that we have posted from the Aviator, Tony, and Squawk Ident podcast YouTube page. And make sure you like, share, and subscribe to the channel. If you select the bell, you'll get notified on future videos from the show. 
As we are getting ready to push off the gate here, let's start off the show today by introducing one of my co-hosts. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP and avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, and a pickleball master, a commercial drone operator, and currently a 737 pilot for Legacy Airlines, the name we use here on the show as an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. From his fortress of isolation, where the Mario Brothers are repairing leaks in the pipes, but butt cracks are on display. From somewhere in Flower Mound, Texas, help me in welcoming back to the show, Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you doing? I'm doing really good, Tony. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good myself. So what <laughs> the right. heck's going on with your busted pipes? I know you sent me some, <laughs> some photos via text. What yep. the heck? Is right. What's going on, right? Well, it's it's not as bad as it really looks. I mean, uh, it wasn't a busted pipe, thankfully. Uh, it was just a leaking um, faucet. Uh, I have a uh, one of those mowing faucet things that pull out of the you know the fixture. Oh and yeah, you can the shower wand thing. Yeah, it's kind of like a shower wand. Well, the uh, thing's like twenty years old, so we're you know where it bends all the time was starting to leak uh, so uh we didn't we hardly ever pulled the thing out to begin with um so anyways it was starting to leak but it's leaking you know when it's inside the receptacle it's leaking into the the fixture and ends up going underneath the cabinet well we we hardly ever pull that thing out so we never really noticed it leaking until it got so bad that now you know water just a large amount of water is now pouring out of that um that leak when you turn it on and my wife's like hey we've got water on the floor what's going on Uh oh so when we opened up the the door like a big rush of water came out and you know the, the wood and everything's all wet and mushy so that's kind of, that has to be replaced it looks like it's been doing it for a little while it's a little say moldy and icky down there oh, so yeah. anyway i got the got the leak fixed today with a uh replacement part um, so that's been kind of occupying my day is getting all that squared away. Been gone for about a week. Um, oh, been on vacation. Uh, mm-hmm. Flew up north to help my mom, and my parents uh, clean out their basement to uh, get ready for some renovations out there. So been kind of busy, but it's kind of nice to uh, go visit family and see actually the fall colors up there in New England's really nice. Oh yeah, I bet. I mean, this yeah. is the time that the leafers come out, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, it, it's really, really impressive, and I, I haven't been able to enjoy something like that in quite some time. I mean, I left the New England area when I joined the military back in 95, so, um, you know, we're pushing a little more than 20, almost 30, uh, 25 years ago now, so, uh, you know, that uh, that used to be an everyday occurrence up until, th- I mean, every year occurrence up until then, um, so um, getting back to it, it was really spectacular. I think the the colors were just popping. You know, the sun angle was perfect with uh, you know the this time of year, and uh, so I was able to enjoy that. And my brother in law has a boat. We went out on the uh, in the uh, the bay and did some deep sea fishing. Caught a whole bunch of blackfish. So it was a good time. I played some golf. Mm-hmm. Golf courses are fantastic this time of year. So uh, all in all, it was a great trip. Good to be back zero flying except for the commuting back and forth yeah so uh, that's good to have too on a vacation yeah and how was the commute were the flights full oh. as they've i've seen they've been 
Well, people talk about that. Um, in this case, it wasn't. I mean, I was flying into an area that you have to quarantine when you get there. So, I mean, uh, I guess I broke the rule. Uh, but allegedly, uh, yeah, it's it's nonsense, man. But uh, as far as the flight flights, the uh, I had a whole row to myself going up to Boston. And on the way back, I chose to fly out of Providence, which has the same kind of rules as the Massachusetts area as quarantine. Mm. Um, I was leaving the state, so it wasn't too much of a big deal. But um, the flight, uh, uh, we had a uh, layover in in Charlotte or changed planes in Charlotte and then uh, Charlotte to Dallas. And both flights, I had the whole road to myself. So it wasn't too bad. It was was about 80% full, but just luckily just where I sat in the exit row, I had the whole road of myself. Yeah. So it's pretty and good. seeing, seeing your, your mom and your family, that's, that's gotta be all worth it. It was awesome. It was awesome. Just really got to spend some quality time with them. Uh, usually when I go, it's with my wife and kids and it's always just, uh, we always have something going, uh, planned out. So we're always kind of hustle and bustle and, uh, it, you never really get to just sit down, like watch a movie or chit chat, you know, we're always kind of just moving around. And that it's one of the things I don't like about that whole area is you're always driving. You're always on the go. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like you're always rushed. And, uh, it was nice to just get there, hang out, you know, even bake the, my mom made an apple pie <laughs> while we're there. So yeah. that was kind of neat. I mean, that's, that's how apple it was. Pie. It was fantastic, man. So, uh, yeah. Well, kudos to you, man, that you, you had the opportunity to do that. That's wonderful. That's absolutely Thanks. wonderful. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Well, also joining us today is another exceptional aviator. He is a professional CFI, I, and MEI flight instructor. He is a former Embraer 145 airline pilot, a King Air flight instructor, a Falcon 2000 commander, a corporate operator as well. He joins us today from his mobile studios from the seventh floor of the Embassy Suites in sunny Orlando, Florida. Please help me in welcoming back to the show our very own Captain Roger. Captain, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Tony. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. So you've been flying quite the opposite of Rob. You've been flying quite a bit. I mean, have you even been home for more than a day what what the heck's going on with the, your schedules well I, fortunately i i have been home for the past week the so that was the upside the downside is that that's pretty much been the only days i've had off for the entire month wow. and i have no days off for the remainder of the month either so yeah. i have um you know i i live in california however i've spent more time in the eastern time zone this month than i have actually at home yeah and that's a bit of an adjustment too isn't it it's definitely an adjustment it was still even today i was kind of thinking about it like where i look at my watch because i you know i don't know if if i'm in the minority or majority i don't actually change my watch when i travel and so my watch is still on pacific time yeah um but i look at my watch and it's hard for me to believe that where the time goes it's like because my watch will say noon and it's already three o'clock out here and i don't think it takes me several days before i can actually kind of adjust to that yeah um i guess it's it's almost like the days move faster out here because i i, I don't know um I, maybe it's my watch i'm not really sure well also this time of year uh definitely makes a big difference i know you know it's been getting dark, getting dark pretty early and yeah you know which 
it's good if you're someone like me that that unfortunately has no choice but to do a lot of red eyes in my schedule. So when you do a red eye and you land and it's still dark, it plays a trick on you. So you can get to the hotel, make sure all the curtains are closed and you know that hanger with the clips on it has has shut the curtains tight so not a beam of light comes in because of course you know if you forget to do that as soon as the sun comes up you get that beam of light hit you right in the face and you're it'll make it into the room that's it for will. sure um so that that is a a benefit but at the downside you're right it's like sometimes it feels like well i'm only flying in the dark <laughs> it's like what's the sun where is the sun uh, with the East Coast, I don't change my watch either. I, I leave it on Pacific time. Um, depending on the schedule that I'm flying, I try to keep to my time zone so that I don't have jet lag. But yes, right. pil- pilots do get jet lag, um, and it's a very serious thing. That's why we have rest requirements and rest rules, and um, and the FAA has all that spelled out under FAR 117. Anybody can look that up and go through the regulations and see how many hours of rest a pilot needs between flights, between days. Um, and uh, we, something we take very seriously as, as aviators because, as you know, uh, if you're drowsy in the cockpit, it could lead to disastrous results. So, And you've been flying which quite is, a bit. Which is, great, which is great for all of you guys in the airline world. We have no FAR 117 here in, uh, in the Part 91 world. So on part 91, you are a commercial pilot. What are your time limits? Are you back to what we used to have, eight hours of rest between, you know, so many hours of Compensatory flying? Compensatory rest and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. What, what does a part 91 have, pilot deal with? There is no, there are no rules. None. There are no rules for part 91. No. Now, typically, so... Th- it is true that there are no rules, but it's also part 91. And so we also have a lot more flexibility in flat out saying, being able to say no. I mean, there is nothing that says that we have to go other than, you know, whoever has hired us, um, you know, in the part 91 world, really you're flying for private owners because there's no for hire or on demand charter kind of stuff. um, Cause that's very different. Uh, but the part 91 we're we're pretty much just to the to the owners but it also gives us the ability to to educate them and say look we cannot do this now in my i'm fortunate enough that that's i've never actually had that problem while yes there are no rules at the same time i've never had an issue um where that becomes a, a big recurring issue there are times where we will have very short nights sometimes less than the even that um, what was known as reduced stress before the 117, that it will be less than eight hours, but that's never something that's going to to continually roll on on onto itself over and over again. Uh, um, so typically, fatigue is not so much of an issue for lack of rest. Sometimes your days can go on for a long time. Just last week, you know, I had a day that was uh, about 16 hours. And, wow! But then I had a week off, so. I see. So it's just a, it's just a different it's just a different type of flying. Yeah, and it's if you come up across this uh, schedule issue where you think you know you and the other pilots say, well, you know that that's a we're not going to be able to do that because you know you don't want us to be tired. The owners are usually okay with that, or do they just find other pilots? If because I couldn't imagine someone wanting to fly that much under a private. Yeah, I can't really. 
even give you a great answer to that question. Everything is going to is going to vary from owner to owner. Mm-hmm. However, I can't imagine a scenario, any scenario for any person that I've ever worked for. If I had to have said that, it would have just been, no, we're not going to do that. And for them to actually find another pilot, I guess they could do that. However, they're going to, you know, every anybody pretty much knows that that's going to be really difficult to find somebody that kind of short notice who's going to be able to do that, who's typed in the appropriate type of airplane and uh-huh. who's available. Yeah. Um, and like I say, like you, like you said, um, nobody really is going to be flying that much because if they're on the airplane, that means that they've had a, a really short night as well. And most of the, most of these people are not, they're not, they're not going to run their schedules like that. Right. Right. So, and that makes sense. You know, uh, you don't get worked as much as say an airline pilot would on the private side of things or on the charter side of things. So. Right. Because we're only flying one person. I mean, you guys are, are taking up one group of people, you know, 150 people to one destination, and then you're turning around and taking a completely different set of people yeah. on the way out. Whereas we're keeping this, you know, we're all going the, together. You know, if, if we fly on flight on, on leg one, those are the same people who are going to be flying on leg two and leg three of that trip. Yeah. And so we're all in it together. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's, I didn't know that. I thought you had uh, some kind of rest regulations under uh, even under part 91 but yeah that's that's very interesting to hear so you've been flying a lot but you've also been spending quite a bit of time on layers i mean i know the last show you had what a, a week at your uh destination uh layover there in the uh was it the caribbean yeah i was in the caribbean for six days oh the travesty it was it was it was pretty <laughs> terrible like, yeah Get my depressed voice here. Um, you know, it was actually really laid back. There, there's not with the cruise ships not sailing and and travel, um, obviously, pretty low. It was it was a very laid back. Um, you know, there are pros and cons to that, but um, it was actually fairly quiet out there. Yeah, yeah. I know you sent me some pictures of those beautiful beaches and the famous beach there. <laughs> Where normally it's full of people trying to reach up at those airplanes as they're landing, flying overhead. And not only were there no people, there were no airplanes. I was the only soul on the entire beach. (laughs) I will say that when we left, when we left, there were some people hanging out at the fence that were waving to us as we we left last last Sunday. They had a little excitement. A plane was actually leaving. The plane, the plane. It's actually, (laughs) that's, that's pretty cool. Well, a lot's been going on. On my end of the world, um, you know, we had that wonderful episode that we were all very excited about with Captain Roger Victor for episode 59. Uh, we all had a great time, uh, and I believe he did too. He sent he sent a, a very nice message to me saying that he had a great time and, and would love to do it again sometime. So that's very nice that uh, that he took the time to send that to us. So good job, guys. You know, we, I think that was a really good show. Um, this show, you know, we don't have a, an interview today uh, because of scheduling conflicts. We had about uh, three or four people that were interested in lining up, uh, but because of scheduling conflicts, and it's been a while since the last show, which was on the 15th, I believe. Um, so I wanted to get one out. And the reason I wanted to do one with with the both of you was because I wanted to get your input on distractions in the cockpit or on the flight deck. Um, you know, we've all been distracted. 
not just in aviation, but in the world, while driving, while while performing a task, while cooking? How many times have we burned something because we we got distracted? And it happens. It's it's human behavior. It's natural. Um, but in our profession, we have to minimize those distractions. We have. That's why we have. SOPs or standard operating procedures. And what brought on this topic for me was what's been happening in the news. And we're going to get to that here in a little bit on the show. And it all kind of relates to what's been going on in my neck of the woods. Um, I had a little bit of vacation as well uh, in the month of October, which was kind of cool. Uh, what did I do during that vacation? Did I go anywhere? Uh, absolutely not. I stayed home. Uh, painted all the interior doors of the house, took them all off, took all the hardware off and set up a little spray booth in the backyard and, and, uh, got my paint sprayer going and sprayed all the doors and then rehung them. And, and that was a day. And then I spent about four days pressure washing the house, painting the trim, painting the house. And my house is now completely painted. And there was a, a lot of time spent on a ladder and you know, who needs a gym when you're doing these kind of jobs around the house? <laughs> so that was good. And then we thought, well, maybe we'll do a drive up the coast and not completely burn my vacation. And we got the phone call saying, hi, kids, we're coming to visit. And so the in-laws were here. Um, and we got to, to you know, do our best to, to stay isolated. Uh, the second I found out that my in-laws were coming over and they're in their 80s, uh, I went out and got a COVID test uh, just for peace of mind. Um, and I'm COVID negative. I've never had it. The antibodies came back uh, that, nope, no sign. Um, so we knew, okay, if I don't have it, then obviously nobody else in the house has it because we're all been home for about two weeks and not really been out and about. So, so we had family over and we went to go see uncles and aunts and had outdoor picnics and barbecues. And, and so we've been busy, you know, between the, the housework and the family. Uh, and then it was time for me to go back to work. And that was kind of weird. When you go back to work after being off for close to three weeks, your first leg in the flight deck can be a little intimidating. Um, it's not quite like riding a bike. You know, these are skills that we have to maintain. That's why there's recurrent training in our industry. Um, what about uh, the two of you? Whenever you go on a vacation, what are those first few legs like? Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I uh, you know, like you said, flying's a diminishable skill. Um, you know, it, it's, to me, it's funny. It's like, um, you know, as far as like uh, operating the aircraft, it's like I know, like my hands know where they need to go, but like my brain kind of is kind of slow to f to uh, to connect. You know what I'm supposed to be doing with what I need, what I what, what my hands doing. I don't know how to really explain it. It's almost like an outer body experience, but uh, you know things are slow. It's just kind of like mushy. You know that. You know, even like the radio calls, you hear them, but you're like, whoa, that was for us. I need to say something back. Um, I don't know. I, it, it takes me a couple of flights to get in, back into the saddle again. I mean, I, I feel fully safe and confident uh, that I, you know, that I'm supposed to be up there. And I, I don't want to give the, the wrong impression that, you know, we're unsafe or anything like that. But, uh, you know, it's kind of nice to uh, 
to come back and and to get to that point and know that you totally forgot about everything up here because you've been on a vacation. Cause I mean, when you're, when you're in this industry, it's go, go, go. And you're, 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 um, you know, constantly uh, getting updates with, uh, you know, operating procedures and, you know, the, the, uh, proceed, uh, uh, you know, they're always changing things on you. You got to stay up to date. You got your training going on. Yeah. So there's, and there's you know always things that don't particularly um uh you know focus on the cockpit stuff but the company stuff that you got to kind of keep up with union stuff um and current events and all that stuff uh a lot of stuff <laughs> so to speak. yeah the emails um, so, you know they pile up yeah, quick, the don't emails they? so yeah and you know they make changes to to everything every now and then so you know you're 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 staying um you know, connected that way. And then when you go on vacation, you know, I leave, I make sure I leave my iPad at home. You know, I don't even bring that with me. Usually, you know, like when I commute and stuff like that, I'll, I'll watch movies on and everything, but I didn't bring it with me at all. You know, just left that at home. So, um, you know, the only thing I have on my iPhone is, uh, you know, my company app to check messages, but I, I just left that alone. I didn't look at that once. So, Anyway, that's kind of me. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't have to go back to work till Wednesday oh. and I'm on reserve. So, um, and there's no flying to be, <laughs> to be done. I mean, I've been really? on reserve since the beginning of the month. There's zero open time. And, um, hmm. I flew one day trip this month and that was it. So things are kind of slow. And right is, now is the reserve line all you can hold with your seniority right now? I bid it purposely for the, um, uh, because I had vacation, um, just the value that I get out of it is, uh, is, uh, better than actually flying online and having to actually physically fly the amount of hours you get paid. So, um, it's more efficient that way. Um, however, uh, from the bidding standpoint, because of all of our companies, furloughs and everything like that, I went from bidding 50% where it was like 53%. Now I'm like 93%. 93%. So, so you're at the bottom of the list. Very bottom of the list. Yeah, not the top. Yeah, so that, that's that's gives a lot of people yeah. confusion. Oh, you're at 93%. Oh, yeah, 93% no, of the entire group. The, from the top. Yeah. yeah, I'm all the way at the bottom. Yeah. So I, I was still able to get a line, and I think you know it, that's understandable because I think all the smart people will want will want to just – be on reserve because uh you know you most likely you won't fly and you're going to get the guarantee for the month well for me i have to actually fly to make the money um so i'd rather do that um so uh anyway that's where i'm at that's how i feel about all that yeah you know the schedules have really created quite the stir in our industry. I know even Roger has t was talking about how he wasn't flying for so long, and now all of a sudden he's got flying coming out of his ears, really. Um, and, and in a Part 91 world, that actually sounds like business as usual, right, Roger? That's pretty much what you're used to. Yeah, it's a very it's a very different animal. And kind of going back to to the guy what you guys were just talking about in terms of vacation, I, I used to feel the same way that you guys were kind of describing when it comes to, oh, I just had two weeks off for vacation and um and now I'm back and and it's just a little bit 
it's just a little bit different. You feel a little bit uneasy, just like Robert said, not, not nearly to the degree, like, like it's unsafe or anything. Um, right. And now I would go very diff, go the other way because I don't feel that way at all anymore because that's, that kind of became the norm. I mean, uh-huh. it was, it was very, it was normal for me to go a week or two or sometimes even three weeks without flying. And now I would, I think for me, um, because it becomes normal, you're a little, you're a little or a lot more comfortable with it. Number one. And number two, I think that the complacency also is decreased that way as well, because you know that this is the normal, you know, that, Hey, I'm, I'm used to stepping back in and not having been, you know, familiar with it on a one leg, two leg, three leg day, day after day, after day, after day for a four day, this is, this is what we do there. But then I would say that there's probably a little bit less complacency because I can also speak, you know, I'll only speak for myself that when you're doing the same thing and running the exact same checklist, you know, especially at the regionals three or four times a day, 16 to 17 days a month, that checklist, let's face it, gentlemen, that checklist is memorized. Yeah. And it's not nearly you know, not to say that we don't have those checklists memorized, but at the same time, not nearly to the extent as that they, that they were at the airlines. And so it's just a different feeling. That's what, that's the norm, um, in, in different, in different flying environments, specifically more towards the 91. And, but there's a whole lot of difference in the 91 world, but yeah, it was normal to not fly for a week or two all the time. That's what we knew. That's what, that's where our, our comfort level was. And so I think that that's just a little bit different depending on the type of flying environment that you happen to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And I, for me, it was kind of weird, uh, to get back to it after three weeks off. I don't think I've had three weeks off from flying for years. Um, uh, I've always, I have a habit yeah. of spreading out my vacation. So I'll do a, a week here where I need it and try to turn it into, a longer vacation. And then I have a week over there where I need it. And I try to turn it into a longer vacation. Um, we rarely actually Same here. take trips, you know, f- because, so why would I need, you know, so many weeks off in a row, this particular instance, we were supposed to go to Italy this year with the family and meet up with family over there and stay there. And, um, that obviously got canceled. Um, so I just kind of left the vacation where it was and figured, Hey, we're going to get work done on the house that we've been talking about for a while. Um, and the opportunity really presented itself. Uh, you know, the universe spoke and the temperatures dropped below the hundreds (laughs) here at the house. And (laughs) I had like four days where they were maybe in the high seventies at the most. And in those four days is when I was up up there on ladders and on the roof and, and, you know, painting trim and, and using paint sprayers and masked up with, you know, 3M masks and goggles and paint suits and stuff because that stuff gets everywhere. And, and, uh, and sure enough, the day I finished and then the next day it got back up into the nineties. So, Hey, it just all, it all worked out, but getting back into the airplane was definitely, you know, a, a challenge to, to get back into it. But like you guys said, like Rob was mentioning, you know, you, you feel kind of slower in your responses, your muscle memory. Uh, so you're reaching for controls a little bit with a little bit more forethought maybe. Um, but that first leg was great. And I flew with a captain that I, I recognized. We had flown together about two years prior. Um, and we 
recognized each other right away, said hello, and I remembered that he was in a like horseback archery and and he remembered where I lived and and so it was it was nice to have that connection. Sometimes you fly with someone and go have we flown together? Uh, I don't yeah. know, maybe, I guess. But that wasn't the case here. Well, we had a flight coming from Philly to Los Angeles, which was our, our come home leg or go home leg. Uh, and that was last night. And so after doing a short leg into Philadelphia, a three-hour sit, then we had the Philly to LA leg, and it was the go home leg. And in the pre-flight briefing, it was my leg to fly. The captain said, well, you know, what are any threats? And I said, go home leg. Uh, I said, you need to take a, you need to catch a commuter flight. So you're, you're eager to get there. Uh, we're crossing the country and there's a little bit of weather that we have to contend with. Uh, a little bit of mountain wave was reported over the Colorado area. So anything that can go wrong is going to go wrong. And I said, so with that said, we're going to have a safe flight. And then we went on with the brief and we kind of chuckled because this is like Murphy's law. This is, this is what happens. Yeah. So we get to the airplane and you know, the airplane had been sitting there for maybe about an hour and we get to the gate. And first thing we're doing, I just got back in for my walk around and the number one flight attendant says, Hey, we need water and juice. The catering came and they left and we don't have any water and juice and we can't, we need water minimum, but we'd like to have those two for first class. And so, okay, there's a phone call, right? So, oh yeah, we'll send it back out. While we're sitting there at the gate, we get an ECAM message. You know, uh, the engine, uh, or was it electronic crew alerting message uh, display or ICAS for some uh, aviators yeah. out there. And this, thingy. you know, it was a, a kind of a nuisance message, but we had to have it cleared. So. Now we're calling maintenance. Stop what I'm doing. Call maintenance. Have them come out. Tell them what's going on. They came. They reset a couple computers, and that went away. And so, and then we just kept getting distracted. So the normal flow of things on the go home leg was interrupted continuously for those 45 minutes that we normally take while the passengers are boarding to set up the cockpit or the flight deck as is required. But we still ran our checklist. We still did our flows, and we maintained strict adherence to making sure that nothing got missed. After pushback, it was a very short taxi. If any of you are familiar with Philadelphia, uh, the Legacy Airlines terminal is relatively close to that particular runway that we were taking off from. So, you know, we briefed that, you know, it's going to be a relatively short taxi. Let's take care of all our control checks once we push off the gate before we even move, that way we can concentrate on taxi. And we never got our final numbers. So oh. what, are, what are final numbers? Final numbers are our last weight and balance. So we have the gate agent that sends how many passengers are on the plane. We have the rampers that send what the final cargo load numbers are. The fuelers, you know, they have put the fuel in and we sent that to them. That's our responsibility. Uh, so how much, how many pounds of fuel we have on the airplane. And all these other departments that send all these numbers into the computer, once those numbers are in, it's an all automated system and it sends a message to the cockpit and we get out of our printer in the cockpit our final numbers or our weight and balance or our closeout, whatever you want to call it. And we never received it. 
So, okay. Now we, we're taxing, relatively short taxi. Are you ready to go, Legacy? No, we're not. We don't have our final numbers. All right, pull, turn here, turn there. And we had to get out of line and, uh, you know, park, put the set, the parking brake. Let's make a few phone calls. So now we're on the radio calling the, the load planner and saying, hey, we didn't get our numbers. Oh, we sent them to you. Uh, we didn't get them. Well, we sent them to you. Well, let's check the printer. No, we didn't get them. So we had to then go on our EFBs, our electronic flight bag, our tablet, and we had to go through an app that we have to see, well, let's see what's in the computer, because if it if it's there, we can then verify the numbers, and if we do all that, we can go, and that's what we ended up doing. Distraction, distraction, distraction. So yeah. by the time we're in the air, we're passing through 10,000 feet, and we both kind of stopped what we were doing, which was we were just doing, he, the captain was doing his flow through 10,000 feet. And I usually do a verification of what we call our, our displays. So I'm checking, you know, oil and electronics and pressurization, just because at 10,000 feet, if you got to come back, you can, you can easily just turn around. So I usually, it's a habit when the captain's doing his thing, that's my trigger to do my thing. And we stopped and we went, we never got our progress report, our flight prog. And just like when you're a private pilot, you fill out a flight plan, whether that's VFR or IFR, and you, you put waypoints and checkpoints and how much time it should take you and how much fuel you should have at each checkpoint and what are the winds. And Well, we still we do that. You do that from day one as a private pilot, and you do it all the way through when you're a, a senior captain at a mainline carrier or a cargo carrier or whatever. So that report never came out. Again, didn't come from the printer. So now captain's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to call dispatch on our crew phone and you, it's your aircraft, your radios. So he goes into his EFB, since we have a Wi-Fi connection on, on most of our aircraft over at Legacy Airlines, he used this crew phone to contact dispatch. And I could hear him, you know, off on the side saying, hey, you know, this is captain so-and-so, we're on flight, this and this. We never got our prog report and we had to use an alternate method to pull out an electronic weight and balance. What's going on? Come to find out that over in dispatch, they had selected the ACARs off for our flight. At least that's what they told them. So we weren't getting uh -huh. any of the information that we were needing for the flight. So he had turned it on. He apologized. He goes, oh, I'm sorry about that. So he turned it on, apologized, and uh, pushed over a new flight progress report so we can keep track of the fuel burn and, and time and all that stuff. So distraction, distraction, distraction. So what I got out of that was an idea for today's show. Let's talk about how distractions can easily find themselves into the flight deck and potentially make your job a much more harder. Roger, you deal with distractions, I'm sure, quite a bit. How can you think of a couple examples and how you handle them? Well, we do. Hey, you know, all right. It's kind of an, an interesting topic. Lots of things are kind of going through my mind as as you were describing that. Uh, the first of which is you guys are so spoiled. That's what he said. You guys are pilots. <laughs> you guys are pilots. That's all you do. <laughs> yeah. We are. You guys talk about all these totally distractions from a pilot standpoint. 
You want to talk about distractions, man? You get you, 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 all you have is this stuff that that's happening up on the flight deck, and I think I, I mostly just kind of made me laugh about how spoiled you guys are. The one twenty one world. Um, kind of getting back to the topic, I, you know, distractions they're they're an everyday fact of life. Quite frankly, I guess um, as I was kind of just alluding to, I think that maybe they're a little bit more common in the environment that I'm flying at simply because we we don't have any flight attendants on our airplane. I, you know, a lot of people do not also. Some do, but most do not. Yeah. And so, you know, our jobs encompass dispatch. Our jobs encompass flight attendants. Our job encompasses weather weathermen. Our job encompasses um, piloting as well. And anytime there's anything coming from the back, I mean, mostly mostly the distractions that that we have are the people on the back. Hey, how come the internet's not working? Or they're, they're I'm on short final. What are you talking about? Get back there. <laughs> they're up in the galley. First, first looking, world problems. I get it. Yeah. It's like, well, where are the napkins? Yeah. Uh, well, where where is this? Well, where is that? And oh, by the way, how come the internet's not working? <laughs> Did you fix that yet? And so sometimes, and sometimes I'm I, I'm IT. You know, I. I I'm trying to fix the internet or I'm trying to troubleshoot and what's going on. Among, and, and we have some other things that uh, for passenger comfort. And that is also under our purview because there is, yeah. there is nobody else. Um, you guys were worried about your progress reports. <laughs> 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 that's, that's great. The internet's not working. The internet's not working. Why isn't it working, son? But I think that obviously <laughs> – the important part of this is that all of those things have to still be managed, no matter what your responsibilities yeah. are to yeah. making sure that you're filling out your progress report for dispatch to make sure that they have their fuel burned down to the pound or whether it's trying to figure out why the internet's not working for the guy who needs to check his emails in the back. All those things still have to be managed because in the end, the final authority and safety of that flight obviously begins and ends with, with the two pilots up front. Um, especially where in, on our operation, because we do have, uh, you know, a fair amount more responsibilities to the people in the back, positive transfer of controls. Like you were talking about, Hey, you know, you've got the airplane and you have the radios and that's yeah. the same thing where we're at, you know, depending on, on who's flying and, and who kind of knows more typically I'm, you know, with the exception of, of kind of what the, the chief pilot, I probably know more about what's going on than, than the rest of our group. So it's, uh, hey, it's your airplane and your radios because I got to get up and I got to go into the back and I got to start playing around with. I got to reset the router. <laughs> <laughs> the modem's acting or, up again. Control or dig out napkins <laughs> from storage or, or whatever it might happens to be. But, but in the end, all yeah. of these things have to be managed and making sure that somebody's always flying the airplane. Somebody's always yeah. paying attention to what's going on because, you know, I'm sure that this is probably where you're going to go. In this episode, if you look at any, pretty much any incident or any accident, it's never one mistake that's going to cause that. It's it's a series, and if yeah. you're able to just break that chain at any at any point, you're probably going to be able to to dodge the bullet, if you will. Yeah. But you always have to make sure that that somebody is managing and and not dealing with the distraction because otherwise, that's when you end up with that 
that strain to disaster. Yeah, we used to call it CRM, but now the uh, all the I know all the airline companies out there, including Legacy, calls it the threat and error management model. Uh, it's also known as the Swiss cheese model, and the principle is you have these layers or barriers that are there to protect you from an aircraft accident or incident yeah. or you know something to distract you to the point of you know a catastrophic event. And in those layers or barriers, there are holes like Swiss cheese. And sometimes things get through those barriers. And hopefully, yeah. you know, each there's one barrier are the pilots. Obviously, that's the first barrier. And then the second barrier is the, the procedures, the standard operating procedures, the, the manuals that you're supposed to comply yeah. with, your knowledge base. And then there's another barrier of ATC and another one's dispatch and another one's your, your flight attendant crew or, or yeah. passengers uh, in a Part 91 that might be in the back that could if something went wrong, they could assist you by going, oh, I hear this or I see this. Um, and there's so many barriers, and hopefully they'll be trapped by the time they go through all these layers. We also have something called the ABCs. This is a newer model that they've uh, recently been teaching us here on the uh, airline side of things. Uh, and the ABCs are all about how you assess a situation that's going wrong, that your distraction might lead to something that, that you didn't catch. So you assess it or you discover it. Once you do that, you balance your barriers. That's the B. And then the C is communicate. You want to communicate with your fellow pilot, with ATC, with whoever is responsible for the safety of that flight. And the final one, the ABCs, the S is your standard operating procedures. And so they're teaching us this new method. It's in conjunction with the threat and error management model, or the TEM. We now have the ABCs to help stop issues from getting missed, that weak link in the chain, as Roger mentioned. Now, Rob, as you know, a former Czech airman, a current 737 pilot, what have you seen or experienced that also can contribute to the discussion of distractions on the flight deck? Uh, there's been many in my experience, um, but just recently I had one flying in the Sacramento last month. Um, I may have talked about it in a previous episode, but um, all in a nutshell, we were descending into Sacramento and you know, the uh, California fires are, were, you know, smoking air, fogging, not fogging, but smoking everything up. So the visibility in Sacramento was below like two miles. I think it was like a mile and a half in smoke. Wow. Um, so it was really thick smoke. Uh, and we were just descending into it. And we were just come over the, uh, we just got onto uh, over the, I guess, the mountain range there. And we were cleared for the, uh, the LNAV VNAV approach. So we were still at, at a like 12,000 feet. So in, in my, in the 737, once you get cleared for the approach, you can go ahead as long as the uh, vertical guidance and lateral guidance is captured by the autopilot and the, um, the flight guidance computer. Um, you can just set the minimums on the altitude, on the uh, altitude selector and uh, the aircraft will follow the, uh, um, you know, the path mm -hmm. all the way down to the runway using automation. And it's great. We all talk about it. Uh, you know, autopilot is great for, you know, um, kind of dialing down 
the uh the amount of things you need to you know monitor you can just sit back and and just manage the aircraft and make sure it's making the crossing restrictions and the air speeds and all you have to do is configure the aircraft and and uh, once it's lined up turn the autopilot off and land the airplane mm-hmm. well um when we were cleared for the approach uh we were cleared to a uh, a different point that we were ex- we were expecting to go to so we had to reprogram the uh, fmc or the fms um and pull extract the uh, proper uh, fix out of the database well when the captain went to do that since he was a pilot monitoring which is the person that um you know handles all that stuff uh he accidentally selected the wrong fix and when that happened it dumped all the information that the autopilot was tracking. So the autopilot reverted back to a basic pitch and lateral mode. So it just basically maintained whatever um, descent rate it had and whatever heading it was on um, in basic lateral mode. So it really wasn't following anything at all. Uh And, and I'm the flying pilot. So you know, it's my job to keep the airplane from hitting the ground. And um, you were still at 12,000 feet and descending. So, I mean, there's plenty of altitude to to play with. Although we just passed, you know, the, I don't know, 8,000, 9 foot, 9,000 foot mountain peaks behind us. Yeah. But we were descending into the smoke. And um, it got really, really busy up there really quick because I needed within within a relatively short period of time i needed that information displayed so i can stay on the uh on the approach and the captain was having a hard time getting that data um programmed properly in the fms so um i i was really close to saying you know telling calling atc and saying all right we lost the data you know can you give me an altitude and a heading to fly so that we can get get ourselves back together again but it you know it and and i'm sitting there and i'm you know just really really fighting the urge to help the captain you know with the fmc right i saw what he did wrong but i really needed to focus on you know aviate fly the airplane and keep the airplane going in the right direction and keeping the airplane away from the ground so i um i i you know it was tough and that was a big distraction and once we got, you know, so, and, and the other, the other thing was, you know, you kind of, you kind of relax, I think uh, a little bit when the automation's taking, taking the airplane over, you know, you, it's going to fly the altitudes, it's going to fly the airspeeds, you know, it, it automatically does all that stuff for you. It's going to fly the headings. And then when all that stuff is gone, you know, all of a sudden, boom, you've got yeah. like three things you need to you know, refocus on again, not so much, you know, airspeed altitude and, and heading, but you need to make sure that from the procedure point of view, you're at least going to come close to following those things. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so, and, and then all that stuff was lost. So I had to like re, you know, reorientate myself with where the airplane was on the approach. What was the actual next fix that we were coming up to because all that stuff dropped out and just, you know, just kind of keep the airplane going where it needed to go and, and just, you know, hopefully the captain can get, get everything back when you needed it. And that was a huge distraction. So, I mean, it's stuff like that um, that can progress to a 
an aircraft incident or an aircraft accident or you know you know you can violate an FAR or a clearance or something like that so you know those are the times where the distractions are are um you know though you, you can learn from them but holy mackerel you they really you really up. have to you really yeah. exactly you really have to you know revert to your training of aviate navigate communicate pilot flying pilot monitoring what are the, what are the jobs you got to do and um you know focus on keeping that airplane out of the dirt because things happen like you said it happens quickly yeah. just as fast as that plane you know that database dropped out is as fast as things will go wrong you know in other in other areas of the flight so yeah and that's really, really why we have so many rules governing what we can and can't do on the flight deck. I know a lot of people think, well, all you do is, you know, push the uh, takeoff button on the autopilot, plane flies itself, and you guys just drink coffee and read the Wall Street Journal and USA Today and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, my God, you couldn't be further from the truth. Now, when times, when things are going easy, you're at cruise, uh, like like that flight I just conducted last night, and a five and a half hour flight time. So that's six hours in that airplane. That was the second leg of the day. And, you know, you, you, you stop and think, wow, you know, we got hours of boredom, really. Yeah. But if you allow yourself to get distracted up there by doing something that is taking too much of your attention, that's not right. And there are plenty of rules. You know, you're not supposed to be up there uh, on another electronic device other than the one the company issues you and you should only be looking at things that are pertinent to the flight. And we were, we were looking at radar and, and we were chasing different altitudes for turbulence and trying to keep it as smooth as possible. So we kept pretty busy, but when there's not much going on and like Roger had alluded to earlier saying, you know, you guys have a checklist and you do four legs and it's the same checklist and you guys memorize that and it's day in, day out. Yeah. You absolutely get used to doing it. Muscle memory, you know, vocal memory, and things are just like everything's going to plan, it it can be a little monotonous and tedious. And, yeah. and we do have a little extra time to to kind of catch up on things and have a conversation in the cockpit, which is what I prefer. Uh, but sometimes just yeah. want some quiet time. And But, you know, all of a sudden something happens, ding, and you're like, oh, crap, what's it doing? Right? <laughs> um, and... and these are the experiences that, that we've shared. Um, there are also events that have happened recently in the news that, you know, we're not going to sit here and assume we understand what happened. Uh, that always happens when the NTSB reports come out after an aircraft accident um, that we finally get what the NTSB or the FAA has deemed as the causation of a particular accident or incident. Well, last week, we had an aircraft slide off the runway. We we had it's kind of freakish weather. We've got hurricanes coming up from the Gulf. Yeah. We've got unusually high it's temperatures. Thirty nine degrees in Dallas right now. You've got the super 39. cold. They had like six inches of snow the other day in the Northwest. Well, it made me do a little bit of homework, and here I am looking at a website that uh, I haven't looked at before. Uh, it's called Sea Haffer News. See, I have not heard of this. It's one of those Wisconsin names. But from seahaffernews.com, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, commercial jet skids off the runway at Central Wisconsin Airport. 
Now, Mosinee is a small airport that the commuters fly in and out of, usually out of Chicago. I've been there a few times myself. This article was posted from State News on October 22nd of 2020, and it says that the officials at Central Wisconsin Airport at Mosinee say no passengers were injured when a commercial, well, I guess they meant to say jet, skidded off the runway Tuesday night. It was an American Eagle flight from Chicago that got stuck in the snow while it was trying to land. Passengers were held on the plane for about 90 minutes before they were shuttled to the terminal. One passenger says the landing wasn't rough, and he didn't even realize what had happened until he looked out the window. So, what happened? You know, we can only assume and speculate at this point, uh, but we do know that the weather conditions were that it was snowing. It was the first major snow of the season. Uh, so you know that there's hopefully de-icing or anti-icing going on on both the surfaces of the airport and the aircraft that are there getting ready to take off. It's a relatively small airport, relatively short runways, nothing too crazy. So if the landing, the witness said, was quite normal, more than likely what happened was once the aircraft slowed to a stop, it probably hydroplaned uh, at some point and slid because of either black ice or ice or snow or slush or hydroplaning off the runway and got stuck. And it doesn't take much to have an aircraft that, uh, what is, uh, I think they're flying either, it's, it's probably a, an Embraer 145 going into Mosinee. What is it, landing at about 42,000 pounds? Don't quote me on those numbers. It's been a long time, but um, yeah. yeah 41226 is a 140. Is uh, was that max landing weight? Yeah, forty one two two six. Yeah, yeah. We, I don't know why I remember that. These numbers that we were supposed to memorize and you know, limitations. Forty three six fifty nine or eight something like that for one forty. I don't know. I can't. Forty five. Yeah. So yeah. The, let's just say they're landing around forty thousand pounds, and if you if one wheel gets off that pavement and into the mud that's wet, saturated, or snow, it's gonna dig in, and you're done. You're 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 gonna have to get towed out of there or whatnot and so it makes sense that you know the passengers were there until they found a a bus that could come and pick them up and take them to the terminal so what happened we don't know but possibly there's there's a lot that can be said here i've had a situation where i've had sliding in an aircraft uh landing with what was unreported freezing rain we've talked about that in an earlier episode of the show, it was one of my last flights at Sandpiper, actually. Um, and yeah, woke me up. Yeah. <laughs> woke us both up, actually. Uh, so distractions happen. Yeah. And if this was an isolated incident, which I'm sure it, the report in the end will probably show that, yeah, they just had an unreported uh, black ice or something that, that uh, they didn't know about and would cause the aircraft to slide. But only a few days later, a similar incident happened. This time it wasn't snow, but it wasn't what is being reported as an aircraft overrun. This from uh, simpleflying.com, American Eagle Flight Embraer 145, runs off the runway in the Bahamas. This was a uh, Report from Chris Lowe on October 24th, and again, I'll put the link in the show notes. Today at approximately 11.56 local time, an American Eagle Embraer 145 LR operated 
as a flight AA4194 overran the runway shortly after landing in Freeport, Bahamas. Details are scarce, but it has been reported that all the passengers and crews are safe. The incident details include that the American Airlines flight from Miami to Freeport overran the runway just before noon on the 24th, and it actually operates the aircraft as an American Eagle service. Um, The aircraft had 25 passengers on board, three crew members, and all were okay. Now, there are plenty of photos of this particular incident out there on the interwebs. And as you can see from one of the photos that I was looking at in particular, they showed the skid marks towards the end of the runway, these pair of black skid marks that continue on as the aircraft goes from centerline off to the side of the runway. Now, whether that's a malfunction that happened on this aircraft, because the aircraft is equipped with anti-skid and anti-locking braking, uh, that I think it was at 30, 40 knots wheel speed that it kicks off or something like that, or 35 knots wheel speed. So you have to be yeah, relatively slow. It's 30 knots or 25 knots. Yeah. yeah, something really low. You're really slow before that anti-skid deactivates. So at that point, you know, if you slam you on the brakes, it. it's not going to leave these long skid marks as skid these marks, photos yeah. have shown. Um, the article goes on saying, unfortunately, you know, there's that aircraft, I mean, was just damaged. The, the main gears collapsed. You can see from the photos that uh, they're out in the dirt in, in a ditch and the both main gears have collapsed and they evacuated the aircraft via the emergency exit and the front exit. So. We will have to wait until we see what the NTSB report, probably a year from now, um, comes up with uh, as the causation of this incident. Both Roger and Rob have seen the photos, correct? I have. Yeah. So what do you guys think? From from just from seeing the photos without speculating on what potentially could have happened, does it look mechanical or maybe an overrun landing distance issues with the pilots? Well, first of all, uh, if I remember, Freeport is a pretty long runway. Am I? I, I maybe I'm getting that confused with Nassau, but um, I, I, I actually am going to look that up as we speak right now. But you know, when when they, I get a little skeptical whenever the news reports say they overran the runway. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's the, a ten- uh, I do too. That's why I'm, I'm right. kind of, because I've seen these photos and it says they overran the runway, but when you look at it, it clearly has veered off to the side of the runway. Exactly. The runway so in that is 10,900 feet long. Okay. So that would be a runway excursion, exactly. right? Am I correct? Maybe. I'm not an NTSB guy, but I think that's kind of the, the, no, the, the, you know, description it should have been, but I'm, you know, reporters like to give their own thing. Um, but, yeah, so when I look at it, I I kind of think that they had some kind of a malfunction because uh, I don't know. I find it hard. I find this hard to believe to be pilot error. You know, the, I I mean that that's not you know not to yeah. say that it was. You know, it could have been, but um, you know, we know we've flown this airplane. I mean, Tony, I, I don't know how many hours you have, but you're probably just like me. You got over six, seven thousand hours. I can't even 
total it up. That plate, that's a really good airplane. And that landing gear on that airplane is awesome. Yeah, it is. You know, the trailing link, the Mm -hmm. brakes on that thing were fantastic. I mean, Mm -hmm. you could land and have that plane slowed and stopped within 3,000 feet. Yeah, with what, 25 people was it on board? It's that's nothing. 25, yeah. So, you know, they're coming from Miami. So, you know, we know the the uh, fuel load probably unless they you know they had ferry fuel or whatever uh still it's going to be relatively light load um it i think it, it there had to be something mechanical just my gut feeling just the way that that it that it looks i mean i didn't see anything weather wise that would um you know cause a plane to weather vane off the runway um you know crosswinds or anything like that it didn't say they had bad weather. Um, the weather seemed to be pretty nice. Um, yeah, it, it had to be something mechanical. Could have been a blown tire. Um, yeah, potentially you know, landing that, and uh, having a tire blow on you can cause extreme swerving. Excessive yeah, input could create yep. yeah issue asymmetric braking a. Uh, hydraulic failure of some kind that would cause braking on one side to be active and not the other. Uh, We actually train extensively in the simulator on that aircraft uh, for uncommanded nose wheel steering. Steering, And that's really potentially what I was thinking when I saw that it wasn't really, didn't look like an overrun to me because it wasn't straight off the edge of the runway on the other side. From the photos that I saw, it looked like it veered off the runway at about a 45 degree angle and it it rested in the grass area between the runway and the taxiway. So to me, that's not an overrun. The one thing that I remember, and it may not even be a factor, but just for some reason it, it uh, popped up in my, my memory was remember the uh, limitation on the thrust reversers. You know, if it was wet, or less than 7,000 feet or something like that, you know, you had to use thrust reversers or, if, you know, runway excursion was imminent. You, know? you must. You, you yeah, must we have three use... categories, I believe. Uh, the time you must use the reversers, the times right. you may use may the reversers, use and there are times where you they took it out, but there were times where they didn't right. want you to use the reversers. Right. Now, like, anytime a runway excursion is imminent, absolutely, you must reverse, max reverse. And that, oh, that's what it was. Right. It was a time where you may use min and a time where you must use, use max. Right. Um, no time could you use it in the intermediate position. Right. Which that could also be a factor too. If they were, you know, you know, had some kind of asymmetric uh, condition going on and they elected to use thrust reversers and may not have, you know, gotten them out symmetrically or True. the engines didn't spool up symmetrically which i think the fadex kind of prevent that um in that model um but yeah there's now, a lot of things in, in my know? i you were asking earlier i mean i have eleven thousand hours on the embryo 145 fleet yeah. uh Jeez. in that time <laughs> uh you know four and a half years as a as a iowe check airman i've seen these kind of photos before and nine out of ten unfortunately it was a technique or a a input from the pilots as a response to something that wasn't quite right that created the excursion and and i'm not going to speculate to whether that's what happened here i've seen 
incidences where, for whatever reason, the parking brake was set in flight. Oh, yeah. And they <laughs> forgot. I'm guilty of that in the simulator. <laughs> they forgot <laughs> in the sim. Oh, my. Don't, I, oh, this is interesting. I might want to yeah, <laughs> dive into this a good, little later. It's actually a great, funny story. It, it will tell you later. But yeah, funny. but, you know, there's an incident. There's a few, actually, incidences where um, over at Sandpiper, I've heard of people, you know, they were demonstrating a, a technique that was later prohibited um, yep. on adjusting the, the hydraulic system from uh, system one to system two, because after time, they would have a tendency to flow through through a shuttle valve, and which wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. And, and so to balance the hydraulic system quantities, there's a technique you could use by alternating yep. pedal pressure for the brakes and the emergency brake. And a particular flight crew did this in flight and forgot it up and then they landed and blew all four mains mm-hmm. yeah and, and that was it i mean the aircraft i mean basically all four tires but they stayed on the runway because it happened in, at an airport that had a humongous runway and yeah 300 and foot wide runway potentially or yeah. could that be an issue here we have no idea we'll find out yeah um, and remember this the Embraer is a brake by wire and steer by wire system so you know electronically you know, there, there is, you know, a potential for a, a, a computer failure in the steering system mm-hmm. and also in the, you know, brake system, the brake, uh, brake, I forget what the BCU brake control unit or whatever, <laughs> yeah, all the little and, acronyms. Steering that, control unit or something like that. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's a whole bunch of computer, you know, populates the steer knob on the ICAS and all that. Um, but, you know, they, they could have had, there's so many things that, that could have gone wrong there. And I really, and we know that the Ember has had in the past and a long time ago, um, steering control unit problems. And they actually made a video that we had to watch. And you, like you said, we train for steering op issues on takeoff and landing and stuff like that. Um, but let's face it, you know, if, if that's what they had, <laughs> you know, I know you, <laughs> at least me, I know I didn't catch it in time the first time it happened to me in the sim. Yeah. And I went off the side of the runway and then, the, then you know, the instructor's like, aha, see what happened? Yeah, you should have just grabbed the, you know, <laughs> the steer not button and disconnected it and just use differential braking instead of reaching down there and grabbing this tiller, which... You know, that's your first instinct because you're going off the side of the runway. <laughs> right, right. And Roger, you've so, got anyway. a, an extensive yeah. amount of hours on this aircraft as well, on the Embraer. What are your thoughts? I do. Um, I hate to speculate on yeah. stuff like this, on whether it, on what any potential causes are. It's it, admittedly the first thing that I thought of when I saw this was actually what you guys were just kind of starting to get into at the end was I, I do remember that there was some issues with the nose gear or the nose gear steering mechanism. And there is that trigger that's on the yoke yeah. um, to disable that nose gear steering. However, Rob, like you're just talking about, let's face it, that's one thing to not do it in the sim and then get it the second time. That's great. In the real, real world, how often if that if, if you're if that thing goes off uncommanded nose gear steer nose nose wheel steering i, I believe is the That's right. yeah. emergency that is, yeah. uh memory memory action checklist by the if that goes off at 80 knots there's no way that you're going to be able to click that trigger before you're already in the dirt yeah yeah, yeah. so you know that that's my first thought but it, it, you know at the same time you know unfortunately 
<laughs> statistics also say that it's usually our fault. Mm-hmm. And not to say that, that it is, I just don't want to, I just don't want to speculate just based off of some pictures. I remember the nose gear steering, the uncommanded nose, nose wheel steering, but you know, yeah. who knows? Everybody's well, okay. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And Amen. hopefully with both of these accidents or incidents, you know, when those reports do come out, we will all have something to take away and learn from them. And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, maybe learn from the mistakes of others. And so we yeah. all, the rest of us don't need to make the same mistakes in order to gain the same understandings. Um, but like I say, most importantly, thankfully, everybody's okay in, in both of these incidents. And um, yep, yeah. we'll take something away from it moving forward. I remember also on that airplane when you when you grease the landing and we all couldn't, you know, had those landings on that airplane at one point in time. When you barely touched down to the point where the plane didn't even know it was on the ground, you'd get that ICAST message populate. Ding, landing gear, air ground fail. Was it landing gear, air ground fail? Air ground disagree. Air ground disagree. That's what it was. I never had that problem. Oh I'm boy! <laughs> oh man! You got to leave your mark on every runway. Grease... <laughs> I want to let everybody know we were there. Boof! We're here, <laughs> right? When you come in and you just grease that thing on there, you'd get this message populate, and basically it's saying, "I don't know if you're on the ground or if you're in the air." Yeah. Um. So that, you know your spoilers wouldn't come up, your thrust reversers wouldn't deploy, and mm. possibly then I don't know if the nose wheel steering kicks in at that point, but um, you know, yeah. That aircraft you know, had, I think, a five elect- five uh, landing gear proximity switches and two on each mains and one on the nose gear. That's and, right. And so if you got this uh, super light landing where maybe one side of the main gear thinks it's on the ground, but the other thinks it's in the air, now the system is saying, hey, wait a minute, uh, are you on the ground or are you, on, are you in the air? So I there's a problem. That immediately would go away. But you've yeah. opened the door to a potentially new issue that, you know, we can sit here and again, this is just a topic for discussion. We're not going to speculate of what actually happened on on this flight that we're talking about here. We'll reserve that for the experts to determine and document. And then, you know, we'll keep an eye on it for a future show when we do get the answer and we'll talk about it then. But when that happens, that potentially could be an error that you get on landing on rollout that doesn't go away because there's yeah. actually a mechanical fault. A and if you get fault, that yeah. and the aircraft doesn't know if it's on the ground or in the air, then you're not going to have thrust reverser deployment. They'll be locked out. You're not going to have anti-skid and anti-locking. You will not have nose wheel steering and you will right. not have ground spoiler deployment. So yeah. It's potentially this could have happened. You know, this is just another issue that that we're sitting here talking about for that model aircraft. That if there was a mechanical issue with the proximity switches on the main gear, and that is in fact what happened, that aircraft would have been very difficult to control. And so, a response from a pilot, from my experience on that aircraft, would be now you you're like first off okay what's it doing why am i not slowing why can't i get these thrust reversers out yeah. and the airplane's saying ding air ground disagree and you're like well why don't these thrust reversers come out i know it dinged at me but why won't these thrust reversers come out yeah. and if you focus all your energy on here and not pull back and get a global assessment of what's actually happening 
Now you're slamming on the brakes at high speed. You don't yeah, have no anti-skid or anti-lock in this scenario, and yeah. you would lock up the tires, in which case you'd get reverberated rubber hydroplaning where the tires get hot and, they, and they're on top of your burning rubber and there's a hot rubber between you and the ground. Yeah. Now you're yeah. hydroplaning off there potentially. And that yeah. could put, that really could be an issue here. We, we don't yeah. know. And we haven't even talked about it. I'm, I'm just brainstorming here too, but you know, there could have been fought on the runway. There could have been, um, you know, some kind of debris or some kind of a, you know, bird strike that they didn't know about that disabled True. uh you know the air ground system we'll never know i they mean they have it, dogs in the bahamas to... and in the islands and i've no i've seen a few dogs on roll out near the runway <laughs> yeah you yeah know, wild yeah, dogs it's, it's yeah and and when you say that it's we're not kidding folks uh, <laughs> when you land in in the bahamas you'll never know what you'll see crossing the runway <laughs> it's a dingo it's a dingo down yeah, here I, I mean, a dingo get in the bahamas <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's safe and everything, but you know, the wildlife and, you know, it's just, it's different. It's a different country. And it's like that in, in different countries around the world, you know, <laughs> they have some, some places where highways go across a runway, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, and you know, the other thing too, is the, uh, talking about the central Wisconsin incident and, and now this one here in a uh, Freeport, you know, one thing that, came across my mind just momentarily was you know the, the the schedules the flying schedules are uh are severe you know cut in half you know maybe 10 20 so the amount of traffic going in and out of these airports are you know almost you know um, very low yeah compared to what they used to be so central wisconsin that that particular incident, you know, they may not have had um, some of the re uh, reports that they would normally get from pirates, from pilots coming in prior to that landing with, you know, the runway conditions and stuff like that. And, you know, did the airport do their job in, you know, treating the runway um, before the aircraft came in and landed? I mean, there's so many things that that, you know, that are so out of the ordinary as it is, mm -hmm. you know, that, you, you know, we, it's so hard to draw any, any conclusion, but just speculating, you know, like Roger said, you know, we'll never know until, and it, we hate to speculate, but, you know, these are all the things that you kind of go through as a pilot, um, just, you know, wondering, you know, what went wrong? Did they do it wrong? Was the plane, you know, did the plane have a problem? You know, was it weather? Uh, you know, gosh, you know, we really want to know right away because because <laughs> that just drives you drives you you know to to get better as you want to learn. Like Roger said, hopefully you learn from other people's mistakes and hopefully they fix the problem before somebody else get hurt before somebody else gets hurt. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what we're doing here. You know, ladies and yeah. gentlemen, we are just looking at the potential issues. Now that we've had this discussion, I know that if something like this were to happen on the line here in the next few months. Well, we just had this discussion about the event, the situation, and maybe if it happens to me out on the flight line, I might just be a little bit more prepared and a little bit more aware that lag time between the event occurrence and the, and the response that what's it doing time 
that human factor, maybe I can shorten that down by a few milliseconds. And those few milliseconds might lead me to a correct response in order to maintain a safe and professional flight atmosphere on the flight deck. So, so that's why we talk about these things. Um, this show is about the journey in today's aviator. This is not about you know aircraft accidents, but we're talking about some of the things that affect us, affect our journeys, and affect how we operate. But it doesn't always go wrong. Sometimes mechanical errors happen on the flight line, and it becomes a successful flight. And we will discuss this and a whole lot more right after the break. Again this week, you know, there's never two without three is what my mom always used to say. A third incident, this time at the parent company from American Eagle. This one happened on American Airlines on an Airbus A320. Again, from simplyflying.com on an article that was published on October 24th from Graham Snellgrove. He wrote on an article called Multiple Hydraulic Failures Strike American Airlines Airbus 320. The uh, 320 was at the center of a potential drama yesterday after the flight crew reported multiple hydraulic failures. The flight from Syracuse to Charlotte spent 45 minutes in the air before returning to its departing airport and landed safely with emergency services standing by. As reported by the Aviation Herald on October 23rd, the AA Airbus 320-200 suffered multiple hydraulic failures, forcing it to return to its origin airport. The aircraft uh, registration that they gave uh, was operating as flight AA-530 from Syracuse to Charlotte, and it had 91 people on board. It had departed runway 10 from Syracuse, and it climbed out normally. At 10,000 feet, the crew stopped the climb and requested to return to Syracuse, reporting that they were experiencing a problem which they were working on. Subsequently, the crew advised that they had multiple hydraulic failures and would need some time to set up for landing. The aircraft entering a holding, entered a holding pattern at 7,000 feet while working through some checklists. The crew advised air traffic control that they were... Uh, they would have no nose wheel steering on landing, and about 45 minutes after departure, the crew landed the aircraft safely on Syracuse's runway 10. They stopped on the runway, confirming that they had no nose wheel steering and would need to be towed from the runway. While advising that they had no fumes on board, they asked emergency services to check the airplane for any leaks. And the, uh, the article goes on uh, indicating that they reached out to the spokespeople and, and uh, didn't have a comment yet. Uh, but this is just a great example of just professionalism that they have over there at American Airlines. They, they handled the situation. Uh, they, they stopped climbing at 10,000 feet. Clearly, they had some kind of indication in the flight deck that uh, they had multiple hydraulic system failures. The Airbus 320 has three systems. Uh, they color code them. The Airbus uh, engineers decided that uh, by by color coding them, it made it simple: the yellow, the green, and the blue hydraulic systems. To have multiple failures uh, is definitely an emergency. 
You know, if you lose one hydraulic system, the plane's going to operate normally. You're just going to have to make some adjustments and you're going to land uh, at the nearest suitable airport, even with one hydraulic failure. Uh, this situation, they had two, which is very rare, uh, especially for uh, an Airbus design like this, to have two system failures. And the fact that they asked if there were any leaks tells me that it was a quantity issue of hydraulic fluid because they would have had a major leak. You know, um, why uh, two systems would fail, I don't know. Um, but they landed without incident. They knew they were not going to have the, the nose wheel steering. They took the time to go into a holding pattern so that they can run through all the checklists that now you have to figure out not just what you have lost in terms of systems uh, on a scenario like this, but you also have to figure out landing distance computations. You have to figure out runway requirements. You know, how, how much runway do I need in this yeah, scenario? From what I remember, all the aircraft that I've flown, anytime there's a hydraulic problem or failure, the checklist is extensive. Very. Every aircraft. Very extensive. Yep. Yeah. Just uh, pages and pages and computations. And thank God for the EFPs because you could just click the hyperlinks and go from page to page that you need to go to. And it brings you right where you, uh, where, where you need to be for your you know, landing computations and uh, what if scenarios and yep. you know, As a matter on of actions fact, and all that stuff. While you were while you're saying this, I just thought, well, let's take a look to see how long it would take me to pull this up, and I pulled it up uh, in my EFB. Now on our flight deck in the Airbus, we are actually each pilot is required to have a paper copy of the QRH. What's a QRH? The Quick Reference Handbook. This is where all our emergency procedures are. So if we if both electronic flight bags completely are destroyed or don't work, uh, you, you always have a paper copy, okay? And to have a hydraulic system failure, to have two of them fail is a big deal. And so let's take a look. We have the blue system, the green system, and the yellow system. Now, what the specific failure is, I don't know, because it doesn't just say fail. There's low pressure, low pump level, overheat. I mean, there's so many different scenarios. Uh, but let's just take a look at one of them. Now, Rob, like you said, it's extensive. And this is just the quick reference stuff. It's like three pages right. long. After you run the quick reference material, you need to go into the EFB, pull up the AOM, which is Aircraft Operating Manual. Uh, at least that's what Legacy Airlines calls it. And then you go through even more checklist. And then that's just the checklist for the failure. Now you have checklists. You have to run the non-routine landing distance considerations. You have to run other apps and to make sure you have enough runway length. Now, you know, the pilot that's flying the airplane is talking on the radio and the pilot that's monitoring, which is usually the captain, they're going through all these checklists. They're figuring out all these computations. They're notifying dispatch. They're notifying the flight attendants. They're figuring out what kind of emergency services they're going to require, if they're going to be able to get the airplane off the runway or not. And all of this comes into to play. You know, you mentioned being busy after a flight management uh, flight plan accidentally got erased 
on an approach, right. which I yeah. mean, that's like, it gets quick. You're pushing buttons fast and you don't want to make an error yeah. and make it worse. So you want to make sure that you're methodical and you fix the situation and you, and you guys were able to do it relatively quick, but it got busy. Yeah. Can you imagine oh, yeah. how busy it's going to yeah. get now where yeah, it's crazy, you know, so they did I was just looking at the, the right seven, thing. I was looking at the seven thirty seven um, QRH mm-hmm. and there's anywhere from six to 11 pages of, uh, of checklist items you got to go through depending on if it's a system a system b or loss of both systems so it's it's quite extensive <laughs> yeah and and here on the airbus i mean they go from the configuration that you need for landing are you going to have to use the landing gear gravity extension according to the one i looked up it was required so you're here you are in the cockpit and someone's turning that crank and you're turning the crank until the gear is down and locked and you have a, an indication. Um, it indicates that uh, you have sluggish aircraft. You're going to go into direct law, pitch and roll. Once the gear comes down, slat and flap configurations, you have to adjust your max speed by so many knots. Uh, you know, you have fuel consumption is obviously going to be increased. Well, if you're at 10,000 feet, you're pretty close to the airport. So that's not going to be too bad. You have to go through another checklist. There's non-routine landing. The landing distance procedures you have to apply. Then on to the, the third page, you get into, well, what flap configuration are you in? And now we have to figure out your approach speed, dependent yeah. on that. Um, are the flaps jammed? Are they slow? Uh, all these considerations you have to go through all yeah. the way down until... Yeah, and if you were probably going cross-country too, like uh, you know Philly to LA, uh, and you just taken off, you're probably close to being close to overweight for, an, you know, for a landing you know, return to landing. And this doesn't quite necessitate at least of yet, you know, an immediate return, yeah. but you know, unless you're out of control, you know, obviously you're going to have to come right back, but you know, so you, you, there's things you got to think about, you know, you don't want to break the airplane just because you did an overweight landing too. Sure. <laughs> sure. So a lot of things and, and all the weight to stop it. Yeah, and all this that we're talking about here, uh, it's the American family is not the only one. UPS, an A300 cargo plane, suffered a hydraulic failure back on October 13th while preparing to oh, land wow. at the Louisville, Kentucky airport, and the crew had to lower the landing gear manually. And after wow. hard landing, the brakes locked up, causing several tires to blow out. And then back in September... A Mirage Airlines A320 operating a domestic flight from Tehran to Kermis, good luck, Kermanshan, <laughs> uh, was twice forced to return to Tehran after indications of hydraulic leaks. So, and, and it goes on this article with some of the others that have been reported uh, not so long ago. So, you know, these are pretty serious mechanical errors or issues yeah. i should say and you know great job hats off to the crew uh, of all of these flights because until we know otherwise you know good job not anyone that i've read here has been injured uh everyone passengers and crew alike so great job to to all the crew members that have handled these accidents these mechanical issues or whatnot um and, and it really is a, a testament to our training uh, at this point uh, so job well done yeah absolutely roger do you have anything to add uh, not in particular i mean my big question is was that before or after the flight progress report had come in you know those distractions can really screw you up buddy. Right. 
And, and, you know, in the end, after having said all that, we talked about distractions. We talked about what pilots, you know, do on the flight deck. This is, this is why pilots are there. This is why pilots, what, what pilots in the end are paid to do. It's not to fly you from point A to point B on any regular routine flight. It's for when things don't go quite the way they're supposed to, because it happens more than people realize. It's just, you never hear about it. Yeah. And that's a good thing. You don't hear about it because it's handled. It's handled appropriately. It's handled safely. And then we fix the problem after, after everyone's back on the ground. But this is really what, in the end, this is what it means to be a pilot is to handle those situations when they become abnormal. Well, I was going to say, it just goes to show you also how well-built the airplanes are with redundancy. You know, the, uh, the airplanes are, are, you know, double, triple, sometimes quadruple redundant systems on them. And you can, uh, the uh, airplane can suffer these kind of failures, um, system failures, and still land safely. Um, but it does take a, a, a highly trained crew and um, a lot of simulator time and obviously um, knowledge of the QRH and aircraft systems to uh, get the airplane back on the ground safely. And uh, that's what they did. Yeah. So job well done. Kudos. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and the discussion of, oh, we're going to go to a single pilot operations. That's what the airlines want so they can cut costs. And, and that's what the FAA is pushing for. And look at Tesla. They have self-driving cars. All they're going to have is a one qualified pilot and a, and a relief pilot just so that one, if that one has to go to the bathroom, and that's not even qualified to land the airplane. No. That's not going to happen because of countless scenarios like these where even two people have, have a workload that has potentially, you know, grown by a factor of 10. You know, it's crazy to think that one with, person can handle all that. And here's a conspiracy theorist in me. And with guys like Edward Snowden in the world who can hack into anything in the world, they could probably hack into the operating system of that airplane and turn it into a uh, a weapon of mass destruction at any time, you know, without any human intervention. Now, you know, if there's no pilots up there. Well, if there's no, yeah. Call me crazy. No, call me crazy. But that can happen. You know, the, there's always this running joke of, you know. They're in the air, and the captain makes the PA once they level off, and you know they verify that the seatbelt sign is it a good idea to turn it off or not? You know, they check with ATC. What are the ride reports like? And and so the captain makes the PA, and and the dread is that someday soon those poor passengers back there are gonna go, hey, this is your captain uh, Rob. I'm reporting to you live. I'm working from home today. This aircraft <laughs> is being flown via remote satellite. And don't worry, you're uh -huh. all perfectly fine. There's two chimpanzees up front that know what to do in case the <laughs> signal is lost. <laughs> Come on. Um, so. But, but seriously, the, these these incidences are very um, task saturated, and you know, any time a successful outcome comes out of it, you know, we just have to to recognize them as a job well done. <laughs> you know, I had an incident a few weeks ago that I had been meaning to mention, but we just hadn't had the opportunity. Talk about. A task saturation. Now, we didn't have a mechanical, okay? But this was an incident. I was flying with a wonderful captain. She had a, a long history of aviation. She, her story is actually phenomenal. I'm trying to get her to, to come on the show to, to talk to us about her journey uh, in both the Air Force and, and over at Legacy Airlines and, and everything else. 
but we were flying together. We, we got along relatively well on our very first leg. It was an LA to DCA flight. And about halfway through the flight, we're in the middle of a conversation, you know, performing our duties. And we get a call from the back from the flight attendant. And flight attendant, uh, the purser, the number one flight attendant that's in charge, uh, calls us and goes, hey, we got a passenger back here that we, we, we're kind of having an issue with. It's like, okay, all of a sudden, you know, we're sit up straight in our seats and get our pens out and our scratch paper. And we're like, okay, what's, what's going on? Let's document this. Let's, let's, time to get to action. Well, you know, this, uh, this passenger, I think, is having drug withdrawals. I'm like, oh, great. You know, here we are halfway through this five-hour flight, you know, you know 37,000 feet. And this is not what we want to hear. So we're like, okay, what's happening? It's like, well, 22-year-old male, he said he took some kind of prescription drugs that he's trying to wean himself off of, and he's not feeling well. He's back here in the galley, hunched over on the floor. We're trying to give him water, and you know, but he's, he's just not having it. He's not very responsive. We're not sure you know, how this is going to escalate. And so the captain's like, well, okay, uh, have you called for a physician? Um, in the cabin yet? Have you, do you see if there's a doctor on board? And like, yeah, we're doing that right now as I'm talking to you. And, and it looks like someone got up. I'll let me call you back and let you know what's going on. So a couple minutes go by. And meanwhile, our wheels are turning. We're like, okay, if we have to divert for medical, where are we going to go? So I'm already looking up close airports that we service that we could potentially go to in case this escalates quickly. Now we're thinking, okay, if he's on a drug uh, withdrawal, could this person become violent? And if so, what are the protocols and what are the security procedures that we are required to follow and, you know, all that stuff? So we're looking at that. Meanwhile, you know, the captain's, captain and I are having this discussion. Now the flight attendant calls us back and says, well, uh, we have a cardiologist on board and they took vitals. These are here are the vitals. I have a form that I'm filling out that we're required to fill out. Um, what do you want to do? And so we're like, well, what does the doctor say? Does the doctor say that we should divert and land? And she said, no, the doctor says he's fine. We're going to give him some aspirin. He's going through withdrawals. He's stable. Um, and if we can just get him in his seat, you know, maybe we can get him to, to write it out. So now we have to you know, get physician on call involved. And now we're, we, we get very, very busy. So this passenger's uh, issues are, are, are going up. They're going down. He's getting better. He's getting worse. And after a few minutes, finally, uh, one of our federal air marshals got involved. He identified himself. This is a very rare thing. Uh, and he spoke with the captain and I and through the intercom and said, yeah, you know, I went ahead and identified myself. I'm actually an EMT trainer for the program. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assess the situation. I don't think he's a, a problem. He's just going through withdrawals and he's stable. Um, and you do have Narcam on board, which is the, the pharmaceutical that you give someone who is overdosing. Um, he goes, if, if I need to administer it, then we'll definitely need to get this airplane on the ground. He says, but at this time, you know, it's, it, I've been watching him and it's been now 20 minutes that he's been creating a scene and it just seems like he's not comfortable, but he's stable. All his, all his vitals are stable. So, okay, 
we elected to continue. Well, as we're getting closer, the the communications going back and forth periodically, and we were able to get the passenger to have a seat next to his friend that he was traveling with, his travel companion. And once he kind of got to the point where he knew where he was, and he was back in his seat, and he, the fam, the the federal air marshal, you know, identified himself. Now he's talking to a cop. He's not happy. Um, and now the PA happens from the flight deck. The captain makes this PA very professional saying, this is, we have a, a ill passenger. We are going to continue at this point. The passenger seems to be stable. So we're going to continue. But when we land, we're going to park at the gate. I want everyone to stay in their seats. We're going to allow the paramedics to come on board the aircraft and assess the situation. Once they give me the all clear, we will go ahead and turn off the seatbelt sign, and you may continue with your deplaning procedures that we have now, these post-COVID procedures where we let one row up at a time and whatnot. At least that's what we're doing at Legacy. And uh, that scared him. And so he was like, all of a sudden he felt better. And he went to the bathroom a few times. And the, the fam was like keeping an eye on him like, okay, why do you go to the bathroom twice in 10 minutes? The assumption was he was dumping stuff uh, yeah. in, in the yeah. lab. So once we got on the ground, you know, we parked at the gate, the paramedics came on board and we got a knock on the door and we're like, well, that was quick. So we opened the door and paramedics go, you're all clear. And the captain's like, you, you got him off already. And they refused medical treatment. Both of them uh, bolted as soon as the door opened, they're gone. There's nothing we can do. They, they refuse medical treatment. And like, okay, so all of that drama, all of those two and a half hours of continuously going, okay, where am I? If I have to divert, where am I going to divert? Distraction, yeah. The distract, the workload was tremendous. The communication between the cockpit and and the cabin was intensive for a flight. You know, we had so many people involved, so many agencies involved. Now, they didn't really do anything incorrect. There was no grounds for law enforcement to be present. We actually had law enforcement on the airplane. You know, what, what is there to do? But these are some of the things that can happen. So a distraction, uh, rushing to get on the ground, a workload saturation, all these things fall into what we've been talking about now for over an hour and a half. Of threat and error management, the ABC model, CRM, distractions on the flight deck, potentially, you know, things that could go wrong because you're distracted. And yeah. and the incidences that led to incidents or accidents that potentially could be caused for from distraction or mechanical, we don't know. But all of these things are kind of why we get paid the big bucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Intriguing. Uh, Roger said his ears went up like, what, you get paid? <laughs> I was gonna say, I mean, that's, <laughs> legacy must be uh, must be be good to you guys. They stopped paying uh, us in, uh, in in like paper money. Then now it's just gold bullion, Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, don't Bit, get yeah, me started Bitcoin. with Bitcoin. Oh my god, somewhat unrelated. Um, just let me get let me get this straight. There was a cardiologist on board who assessed. 
and a federal air marshal decided he was going to decide whether he was going to administer Narcan or was going to assess the situation and overstep the cardiologist? Well, the cardiologist was a passenger that was flying. The cardiologist said, hey, man, he seems stable. Uh, I don't recommend it. I'm going to go back to my seat kind of thing. You know, like they stay until... But then the the fams it was like this poor passenger. They gave their assessment. He was qualified as an EMT to also give the assessment. We had communications with the physician on call, which is through dispatch. The right. physician on call said, "Yeah, the stats you're giving me, uh, the guy's stable. You know, there's there's no reason." The information you've handed, you know, the assessment of all three of these medical professionals. So, you know, the passenger, go. Thank you for your help. We appreciate you. You, know, you go back to your seat if we need you. We'll we'll call you. Um, so that frees her, that person from liability and the discomfort of you know, hey, I'm on a flight trying to go visit Nana, and now I'm sitting here, you know, over a patient who is stable. Um, so that's why the fam got involved. Um, afterwards, we all had a conversation uh, talking about how these things happen and, and you know, what can you do? And yeah. we thank them for all the, the paramedics, the fire department that was there, the fans, and, you know, the, the flight attendants. You know, we sat there and all had a little conversation after the flight and everybody was off the plane and saying what a great job everybody did in the situation. Yeah. Now, you know, some young kids, they... Popped a couple pills before getting on a flight. Illegal. And, you know, <laughs> they're tripping. Were they roofies? Illegal. I don't know why they, they call them roofies because you're always know. on the floor. But <laughs> What do you take? The red pill? Or is it the blue pill? The one with little or Mitsubishi logo on it. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Yeah. You guys have had any incidences like that? Um, like I had one. On, I had one when we got to the gate. I mean, we uh, landed, set the park and brake, checklist complete, everybody to plane, waiting on one last passenger to get off, and the flight attendant's like, "Hey, uh, I think we need medical attention. This guy needs medical attention. He's not responsive. I mean, he's." He's conscious, but he's not responsive, and he's kind of moaning and groaning back there. And so, like, really? Let me go take a look. So I go look back there, and the guy's like, <gasps> and I was like, well, he looks like he's on some kind of drugs or something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, was, I told, I went back to the to the uh, cockpit and got on company radio and. You know, said, "Hey, we need medical assistance for passenger," and they were there within like five minutes, and that's all we heard. I mean, nothing crazy. Um, I was non-revving, not non-revving, deadheading on a flight a few months ago. Eh, it was about a month ago, and uh, there was a passenger that was having some kind of health issues. Flight attendants took out the uh, the oxygen. And there, thankfully, there was a there was a, a nurse who was sitting right next to them. Just happened to be sitting right next to them, identified um, themselves, and assisted the uh, flight attendants with everything. And um, that that turned into a little bit of a fiasco for about fifteen to twenty minutes of the flight attendants' time. 
um, you know, because they were attending just to that one path. I mean, not that there's there's much going on these days in the, uh, you know, in the uh, cabin of an aircraft. They're not doing services or anything like that. So um, this, but this definitely took the attention of pretty much all the flight attendants on board. And um, I did see them taking out their, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? The uh, crew, the crew phone app. Mm-hmm. to call the physician on call and yeah. uh, relay information. Of course, uh, they, they did everything. They did everything by the book, as far as I can see. It was good. It was really neat to, to watch them in action. They do a really good job up there. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, hands off to flight attendants. They they do a lot more back there than than we often give them credit to, and I, and I don't yep. forget that. Roger, did, yep. you, did you just have a, an incident you wanted to talk about? No, I, the only thing I've really actually seen was just like Rob was talking about was actually I was commuting on a flight and it turned and I don't actually even know what ended up happening. I do know that there was quite the commotion there for probably 15 or 20 minutes. And I was wondering if I was going to make it home on time and right. the flight continued on. So they must have resolved it. But um, other than that, fortunately, I've not ever had anything on any flight that I've been on that's had to be addressed with, with any sort of emergency like that. Well, on the show, let's wrap it up today with a movie review. Now I've, I've gotten some feedback from multiple viewers and listeners to the podcast that they really enjoyed, uh, I don't know, 20 or 30 episodes ago where we actually did a, a little review of aviation films and and most pilots you know are kind of into aviation films like to talk about it most of the time we make fun of them because they're highly inaccurate and uh, you know purely hollywood entertainment uh the movie flight comes to mind denzel does an excellent job uh in acting and no i don't wake up next to uh co-workers uh after doing some <laughs> illegal drugs some no, that, blow and stuff like that come on come on you know for real um but you know this these and the the sequences on that film where the plane goes inverted it's not even a real airplane it's all cgi it's like a, a mcdonald douglas boeing airbus airplane and but yeah i i can remember uh weeks after Seeing that film, my friends and family would call me and say, is that real? Can you really fly an airplane upside right. down? And do you guys really get yeah. all stoned and stuff on the overnights? And Come, come on. Yeah. It's Hollywood. But it's a great story, yeah. um, loosely based on events that have happened in the past and, and, and aviators that have gone through similar situations. And how long has Sleeping Beauty been out? Um, 26 minutes. We're going to start descending any second now. Well, looks like you'll need to wake him up. Southjet 227, Atlanta Center, descend and maintain flight level 300. Descend and maintain flight level 300. So it, it was a really good film. But, Rob, you mentioned you recently saw a film that I've been meaning to catch. Uh, we've talked about yeah. this on the flight deck, certain flights, and this is the new flight on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. Uh, flight was 7,500. 7,500. 7,500 yeah. for those... In the aviation community, we all know what that means. That's the right. the uh, transponder code Distress. where we squawk seventy five hundred. So, yep. and that means hey, we're being hijacked. Hijacked. Yeah. Yep. So, what did you think of that film? Well, it was it was interesting. I was uh, sitting around, you know, one evening looking for something to watch, and um, this kept popping up in you know my suggestion 
feed. So finally I clicked on it and started watching it. And from the very beginning, um, I was hooked because the movie, uh, they, they do a really good job of replicating um, the procedures and the nuances we go through in the cockpit from for pre-flights and you know the interactions you have with your cap your your coworkers your your co your your captain and your your flight attendants and um so from you know as soon as that started happening it kind of you know caught my attention because i'm like hey they, these guys are doing a really good job of of you know starting this movie out i hope the rest of the movie is you know true to you know that kind of realism um let me just read it here this is a amazon prime uh movie it's called 7500 and the description is, when terrorists try to seize control of a Berlin to Paris flight, a soft-spoken young American co-pilot struggles to save the lives of the passengers. Um, this is uh, director Patrick Valrath and uh, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which you have seen yeah, him in I a couple like of movies. He's really yeah. good. Yep. Omid Memar. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Sorry. Carlo Kitz Kitzlinger. Um, is the uh, one of the uh, other actors. Um, so basically, uh, the movie is a movie about a hijacking and how this pilot handles the situation. Mm. And it is crazy because obviously we're all familiar with September 11th. You know, that's a, that's a day which, you know, pretty, if you're around that, around that uh, September 11th, you know, vividly in your memory what happened that day where terrorists yeah. took over four airplanes and crashed them into the world trade center and the pentagon in shanksville pennsylvania and um this movie just really really opened your eyes to a cinematic presentation of of a hijacking and um all these things that they were going through are plausible stuff i mean it was just really really well done and we were kind of joking about it uh leading up to the uh com this conversation was you know how the movie end <laughs> well it 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 just ends you know it just it it really ends and not, yeah i'll leave it hanging there you really just have to watch the movie to see how it ends and you're kind of laugh you know next time we talk if you watch the movie you're gonna laugh and say yeah you're right it kind of just ends <laughs> Yeah, that, but um, that's been the consensus of the people that I've spoken with. Because anytime an aviation film reach, reaches like a Hollywood stage yeah. like this one has, um, you know, we talk about it on the flight. Like, hey, did you see that movie? Did you see that? You know, what'd you think? Yeah. Um, but I've also heard this from from multiple people that it was a very accurate depiction of what we go through on these kind of situations. Now we're as aviators, you know, we're bound to secrecy from the FAA and the NTSB on the security protocols. So we would never uh, go against that, sure. that and disclose the specifics. But anyone that logically can say, okay, well, clearly there's protocol in place and, and this movie does scratch the surface on that. I am going to watch this film and, and yeah. let you know what I think. And, I, yeah. you know, and Roger was indicating that he hadn't seen it either, right, Roger? I have not seen it. Yeah, so we'll we'll take a look and get back to you, and maybe maybe on my next overnight. Yeah, yeah. give our give our it, it, uh, listeners yeah. a, a little two cents on what we did. But you I, liked it, is that what you're saying? I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. You know, the movie's not going to get any Academy Awards, I don't think. I mean, it's just not that kind of movie. Um, and as you could see by the ratings on the uh, on the Prime, uh, you know platform there, I think it only got three stars, two stars, three stars. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it's not 
it's not huge, but I think for, you know, the, the audience that they're looking for, you know, probably viewers like us who, uh, you know, can relate to these situations, um, well, I wouldn't say can relate, but can imagine these situations happening to our, our, you know, I mean, come on, every pilot after September 11th has gone through scenarios after scenario after scenario in your head about hijacking and how you would handle it. Right. And this is just a really good, you know, Hollywood rendition of how, you know, this particular guy handles this situation. And I don't even remember, I don't think it is, but I don't know. I don't think it was based on any kind of true events. So I, it, it, I don't remember it saying that. And it, I think it would have said it in the, in the description. Yeah. So it's not based on true events, but still, uh, you know, he's flying an Airbus. So, you know, that, that right, right there is already in your, you know, probably piques your, your curiosity a little bit there and how he, you know, <laughs> he handles that. You probably, uh, you'll see when he goes through the taxi flow, uh, <laughs> uh, it's quite similar to what, you know, I see the Airbus guys do, uh, when I'm jump seating in their, in their cockpit. So it's pretty neat. Yeah, I think you guys will like it. And and even though the reviews have been a little harsh on this, because I have kind of heard the reviews and I thought, well, yeah, I want to watch it. But then I kind of saw the reviews and I thought, uh, I'll put it on yeah, the list, I, but it's you know not a priority. Uh, but the reviews are, are kind of like polls, man. You can't believe them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think because of what we do, you know, because of what we do, I know uh, uh, Brian Tolerico. I, th- I hope I'm saying that right, uh, Telerico, uh, from the Roger and Ebert.com. You know, they only gave him two stars for this film, but they, they did indicate on their, on their website that, you know, the, within the first 15 minutes, there's an action sequence that really kind of gets you hooked into it. Um, unfortunately, what they mentioned is like towards the end of the film, it's kind of a lot yeah. left to be desired. But the acting from uh, Gordon Levitt is actually what holds this movie. Yeah, to me. And and now that you you mentioned that, it it what what kind of if you if you're a non aviator and you're watching this movie, the beginning of the movie will be slow because there is really not a lot going on that's like you know wow i gotta watch this you know what i yeah. mean there's just nothing that that catches you in the opening scene of this movie but if you're an aviator especially if you've been in a 121 environment it's the other way around you know the interactions are what we see every day and your curiosity is going to be like hey you know that's kind of how we do it. Let's see what, you know, where it leads to next. And, you know, you're kind of anticipating, okay, this is going to happen. Oh, yep. It happens. And, you know, okay, this is what they say. Okay. You know, checklist. All right. Yeah. Any threats going forward? Yeah. All right. You know, briefing the departure, the taxi out, everything's happening just like we do it in the cockpit. And so from an aviator point of view, you're going to watch this movie and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to kind of hang on every, you know, every, you know, minute of the first 15 minutes of the movie, because it's right down your, you know, right down your, uh, right down your alley as far as, you know, your, your interests. So I think it's going to be a good movie for you. Yeah. You know, the, the film that always comes to mind when I think of a really impressive display of accuracy is actually an animated film called Incredibles and Incredibles 2. Do you remember the scene where the mom is talking to AT? She's flying the jet and she's talking to ATC and and it's yeah, like, it's oh my god, that was that was really accurate. 
Let me see if I can find it real quick. Got it queued up there. India Golf 9 or 9 are transmitting in the blind guard. Disengage, repeat, disengage. Yeah, the 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 scene where the the mom talks to ATC in the in the airplane was was very accurate, and I always was impressed with that. I always thought, wow, this cartoon got it right. But it's <laughs> it's really not a surprise because the character is actually played by Holly Hunter, Holly Hunter, who was in the film Always, uh, where she played an air, a pilot. Uh, for uh, Firefighting Squadron. Uh, wonderful movie. One of Audrey Hepburn's last films, I believe, the movie Always. Great film for aviators to watch, um, which was actually uh, what I just discovered, a remake of oh, really? a film, a film called A Guy Named Joe with uh, an MGM film with uh, Spencer Tracy and Irene Dune. And they... It's basically the film in, in that era, which was remade into to fit a storyline from the '90s, which was the movie Always uh, with uh, with Holly Hunter. So, um, not surprising that she got it right. Cool. I'll check that one out. Always rent on Amazon Prime for three ninety nine in HD. Yeah, that's Richard Dreyfuss too. It's great, great movie. Over the last few weeks, we on the airline side of the industry have seen many of our fellow pilots, flight attendants, and co-workers say their goodbyes. Here in the United States, since the Payroll Protection Program, or the CARES Act, expired on October 1st, the first wave of furloughed pilots have been forced to place themselves on unemployment lines. Not far behind that initial wave of employees is a second wave involuntarily poised to join their brothers and sisters as the second round of furloughs are scheduled to happen here on November 1st. This devastating reality our industry has been affected by is often masked by the outstanding professionalism and dedication of many of today's professional aviators. Make no mistake, these are some very dark days for our industry. To our brothers and sisters that have been or will soon be forced to temporarily take a bench, we at Squawk Ident truly believe that there is hope for payroll protections just around the corner. For those aviators that have been fortunate enough to keep their jobs, whether it's with or without significant reductions in work schedules or payroll protections, they too have felt the many burdens that this pandemic has created. Some are dealing with significant financial strains, while others are dealing with major changes to flight schedules, all while watching friends and colleagues, and in some cases, family members struggling to figure out how they are going to make it all work. While handling the multitude of distractions out there, we still have to show up to work with clear heads, ready for what might lie ahead. Staying focused, following SOPs, and being able to compartmentalize the task at hand from every other distraction is what sets us professional pilots apart. Do not allow distractions on the flight deck to make you a headline. Well, that wraps up show number 60. You know, I have been having a wonderful time having this discussion with you fine gentlemen. You know, talking about aviation, work, work, 
work contracts, work, 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 <laughs> unemployment lines. <laughs> you know, it, it does help. It, it helps me. Um, I've, I've received some relatively positive feedback from a lot of our listeners uh, indicating that listening to the show does help them, especially on their commutes into work. Um, and so we want to hear from you. If you're enjoying Squawk Ident, we encourage you to visit our website at aviatortony.com. If you find value in our show, we would uh, just like to invite you, if you're so inclined, to contribute to the Squawk Ident podcast right there on the homepage. There's a link that'll take you to a site where you can contribute financially to the show, where that'll help us keep this podcast going. It's not easy getting equipment and keeping subscriptions uh you know, going and, and it does cost some money. This is a, a wonderful way to get the word out about the journey of today's aviator. And we'd like to keep it going for as long as we financially can. So anything that you can do, especially now would help. Uh, if you can't, totally understandable. We just hope you enjoy the show. Another thing you can do is leave us some feedback, whether that's audio feedback right there on the website, or you can send us an email. You can reach out to us on social media as well. On the Facebook pages, you can find us at Squawk Ident Podcast. The same goes for Instagram. On YouTube, you can check out our channel. And on Twitter, just search Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident. We encourage you to support us on YouTube with a like, a subscribe, and a share. There you can see short video clips from the podcast. In closing, I'd like to say thank you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, be safe, look out for those distractions, and take care of each other. See you guys. Bye. All right. Have a good one. Good show, Tony. See you later, Roger. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, guys. Good show. 